Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about plant health, what you can do to improve it or maintain it on your farm. We'll also be taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can always email us radio at agphd.com. All right, Brian, we're talking plant health today. Got any other hot topics uh, at the top of your mind? Well, I would just say when we talk about plant health, it really starts, in my opinion, with soil health. If we don't have a healthy soil, we aren't delivering the right nutrients at the right time to the plant, then the plant has no chance to be healthy. And, I mean, we talk quite often on the show about tissue testing and foliar feeding and stuff like that. But the health of the soil, that's really the base for that plant. So we want to start off very well right there. And if we do that, then usually we just have a lot healthier plant. And then quite frankly, we've been talking about this a lot lately, that and ultimately if let's say, like in our case, where our corn or alfalfa goes to livestock, well, if the livestock isn't healthy, then yeah, that goes back to basically the plant health and the nutrition in the plant. And then that goes back to the soil. So this, the whole soil thing, it's just such an enormously big deal. We've got Neil Kinsey coming in in about three weeks, and he's going to spend three days at the Morton Center. If you're interested in learning more about soils and fertility, you need to be there. It's awesome. Neil is one of the leading soils experts in the whole world. He's turning 80. He's going to be, on, he's going to be here on his birthday even. He's so passionate about soils. Just imagine if you're 80 years old. I mean, you probably have a lot of other ambitions in life. His is to share the good word about soils and what we can do to improve it. And he's awesome. Just You can go to agphd.com to learn more about that. But Darren and I have been through a number of Neil Kinsey's sessions, his classes over the years. He's great. He's been a mentor to us. He's really helped us so much. And now we're able to share a lot of some of the things that he's talked about, along with some of the things that we've discovered as well. But soil fertility, it, it kinda, it, it, it's a little bit challenging, but it's not that bad. So I, I just really encourage you, let's start with the soil. Look at what Neil Kinsey's doing. You can attend his, you can attend his session either in person, uh, right at the site of the Ag PhD Field Day, or live stream if you'd like to. And we got all the information on that at agphd.com. But yeah, I, Darren, I just come back to soil health translates to plant health. That's my opinion. Yeah, one of the big things in the soil that we want to have enough of is air. And this is something I think a lot of folks are, are looking at. Okay, what is my nutrient level that I've got in my soil? And many, uh, like you, Brian, too, are looking at, well, I want to control my water table. And the big thing that's that really should be said is I want to control how much oxygen I've got in my soil for that root system, for all those living creatures that are in the soil, all the little soil microbes and earthworms and everything else. We want them to have a great home because they're doing a lot of work for us, making nutrients more available for our crop, working together with our crop to be successful. So lots of things there, soil health and plant health. Yeah, here's the other thing I would say about plant health as we start the show on this today. By the time you see a problem in your plant, your plant has already been suffering for a long time. So just think about it. If you go out there and you see, oh, your plant looks a little yellow. Oh, your plant looks a little nutrient deficient. Oh, there's a disease now, it looks like, that's, that's set into this thing. Oh, it looks like a bug's been feeding on this. Well, that didn't just, those things didn't just happen today, most likely. They may have started a few days ago, 
a week ago, maybe even a few weeks or a month ago. So that plant's been suffering, and that's also why I come back to if we're if we do the right things for the soil, hopefully we have a healthier plant ultimately. But if you're seeing issues in the plant, yes, you can go do some things at that point. You can spray a herbicide, fungicide, insecticide, a biological, biostimulant. There are a lot of things to help the plant recover, but it already got sick and its yield already got hurt. So that's the big thing I guess I'd stress is scouting is really important and then planning ahead. And once you see an issue, it's not only just thinking about, oh, this year and I got to solve this this year. I'd be thinking about, hey, next year and for me it's hard to remember these things 12 months in advance so i literally put them in my calendar that hey the next year we had this problem happen in our crop i don't want it to happen again so here's my plan of attack to make sure it doesn't happen yeah lots of important things there to talk about we'll get into plant health uh, get deep into that topic here in just a little bit but first we're going to jump into the ag phd mailbag Jared wants to know, I've got soils with a pH of 8.1 and soluble salts at a 2. How do you grow successful corn in those situations? Uh, For example, have you tried iron in furrow for corn? Can that help overcome at least the iron issue? Um, I don't know that we've done much iron. We've done very, very small amounts of iron. Um, Could that potentially help? Sure, it's possible, but I don't know that that's the only problem you've got going on there. We want to try to identify what are all the problems and then what's the biggest problem. So when I hear really high pH and I hear soluble salt levels are high, the first thing I'm thinking about is inadequate drainage. If it's me, my first guess is it probably needs tile. And then if you've been putting manure on that raised those soluble salt levels really high, you got to stop at least for a year or two to get, get the salt levels going down. Right. Next one comes in from Jake. He said, uh, are there any organic guys that are making cover crops work? It looks like great weed control, but it seems like late season grasses would be hard to stop. Well, yeah, there are a lot of people that are using cover crops organic farmers and farmers who are farming not organic. I mean, how exactly are you going to make that work? I don't know. Everybody's situation is a little bit different. So I don't know what your crops you're planting. I don't know what cover crops you want to do. But there's a way to do it. And you just have to really think about that and try some things out on a small scale and go from there. But a lot of the people that are raising organic, they're doing tillage. So if you have an annual cover crop, you don't let it go to seed and till it under, you should be in pretty good shape. Yep, there's a lot to learn there, no doubt about it. Lots of choices as well. One of those choices that we all have is to try to help plant health the best we can on our farms. We'll talk about that on today's show. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. 
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. How can Naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Biologicals, or Naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of Naturals products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. If you look close enough, you can see the hidden potential within your fields. That's why an agro-liquid nutrition plan starts with the crop and identifies the precise combination of primary nutrients while focusing on the support of secondary and micronutrients. So every nutrient is working in harmony for your crop to reach its full potential, maximizing growth while offering lower use rates. Apply less, expect more, precisely. Find an agroliquid dealer at agroliquid.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio today, and we're focused on plant health on our show. We're also taking your agronomic questions either by email radio at agphd.com or just call us on the phone. It's 844 44 AGPHD. Got Jeff Moon with us right now with Corteva to start this discussion off. How are you doing today, Jeff? Hey, Darren. I'm doing well. Uh, thank you. How about how about yourself today? Doing pretty good. I, I like thinking about in-crop decisions, and I, I like thinking about that growing crop, especially when it's winter, even though it's been a relatively mild winter <laughs> here so far. Uh, you know, we we're talking about plant health, and my brother started the show off, and he said, you know what? It's really tough to have good plant health if you don't have good soil health, too. And it's hard to argue with that. We kind of need kind of need it all working together. I would agree. Uh, th- that whole system out there. I mean, just think about what's going on with that plant above ground and below ground, and and uh, whether it's the, the microorganisms below ground and and uh, making sure the nutrients are there for that plant to stay healthy, or or fighting off disease and insects above ground. Uh, it all works together to to get to that end goal. You bet. So how do you how do you set the game plan up for this? Uh, as you're going out there, I know there's a lot of times we'll talk about, and, and we'll discuss it here shortly too, about uh, using fungicides and those types of things later in the season. But but setting the table yep. so we have a good crop to, when we get to that point is important too. You bet it is. I think it all starts this time of year. You just mentioned it. It all starts this time of year with planning and uh, putting your plan together, uh, thinking about what's happened in that field last year. Uh, or if you're, if you're rotating through, maybe the last time you planted something in that, you know, the, the same crop in that field, and uh, what issues, what problems may have arisen, and uh, putting, a, putting a plan together to address that. And I think that's the best place to start. Visit with your local retailer, visit with you, your agronomist, and, and put together some ideas of what you can do to, uh, to address that plant health. You know, was it, a, was it a below ground issue? Was it above ground issue? Where did it start? Or, or what did you notice? And and then uh, put something in place to address it this time around, so you can pull the trigger when you know as needed or, or when necessary. 
You know, you mentioned a good point there. Let's just say you're in a corn and soybean rotation, for example. So the last time you planted corn was a couple of growing seasons ago. If you don't take notes, uh, I mean, some some guys have got great memories, photographic memories, but not too many. I mean, uh, if you ask me, okay, tell me about two corn crops ago, I can give you a general overview, but maybe not the specific sure. things on every acre. So I think note-taking along the season, that might be a really good goal to start with. That You know, this year I better do a better job, but you could look back at satellite imagery, I guess, and, and try to pick apart what fields look like a couple of years ago. You bet. Uh, Note-taking is awesome. Maybe that's your New Year's resolution here. Looking back at some yield maps, uh, looking back at, at uh, some, uh, some of your um, you know, billing information or, or you know, things of that nature from, from your supplier that you go, oh, yeah, that's right. We did, we did apply some fungicide out here. I'd kind of forgotten about that. So you've got some places you can go to get that information um, in, in case you, you haven't been doing a good job of writing that down. But uh, you've probably got that somewhere, you know, close to your fingertips if you do a little bit of work to to get that information into your hands. Yeah, you mentioned just going back to the last time you raised that particular crop, and I know sometimes folks will say, well, I've got sudden death syndrome in soybeans, but that isn't really going to show up on corn. There's going to be other challenges that you have out sure. there. And and then, of course, you got new things. Uh, you know, for, for many growers, we get a lot of questions about tar spot, that, ah, I saw a tar spot in our area for the first time last year, or it's been a problem in the past. That's certainly something i got to keep in mind. If I can't keep that off my leaves, it's really hard to have those leaves doing much good for me. So talk to us right. about some of the things that, that you're seeing out there. I know tar spot gets a lot of attention. There are certainly other plant health type issues, disease type issues that, that have been problems as well. You bet. You know, the ones that get the most uh, uh, press time, I guess, it would be tar spot and corn or white mold and soybeans. And, and those can certainly be devastating. You know, in, in white mold, for example, I think if you, I, I've read that, you know, for every 10% increase in, in incidents that you have out there, you can see up to a five bushel yield loss. And, you know, with tar spots, we've heard losses uh, 50 or 60 bushels per acre. So those are certainly devastating. Uh, but, you know, you think about some of the other diseases out there and, you know, it might be northern corn leaf blight uh, in, in, in corn. There, there's certainly some other things to keep an eye on. Uh, gray leaf spot, uh, certainly some things that you can scout for and, and be aware of and kind of polish up on what you're looking for, what those, um, what those signs of disease are. Um, do a little work on the internet, you know, snap a picture, keep it in your phone, whatever it might be to remind yourself kind of what to look for out there. You mentioned white mold in soybeans and, and I know Corteva's got a new product for, for helping with white mold control. Do you want to talk about that just a minute? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a new product called Viatude and, and we had some Viatude out last year, uh, very limited supply, but we've got some Viatude out there, a uh, couple of active ingredients in there to get a little bit broader spectrum. It's a good white mold product, but really I, I like the plant health aspect of it too. Um, you know, we're, we're going to apply this at probably the R1 stage, and if you're in a white mold area, you're, you're likely going to have to make another application like you do with many fungicides out there to keep that uh, disease at bay. Um, but, but you're not only going to get control of that disease, but you're going to promote better plant health. We can keep that plant healthier, keep those leaves greener, you know, a little bit longer, keep that factory running uh, we're going to see uh, better plant health uh, products. Uh, you know, soybeans are going to stand better. They're going to be able, better able to fight off disease, uh, grow through their full maturity, and, and get dried down in, in a natural way. And so that's really what you're looking for in those crops is to let them live their 
complete life cycle, and that's what we're trying to do. If we can keep that plant healthy, we're going to see a number of benefits from that as well. Now, we talked about tar spot real briefly here, but obviously we've had a few years now where we've been able to look at tar spot, or more than a few years time goes really fast what are some of the things that you've learned for for the guys that say man i'm just starting to see that in my area as it's moving further west and north uh what should those guys be looking at this year to keep their plants healthy all year long you know it's uh it's good to kind of look as to you know look to the east see see where it's coming from typically we find with tar spot now this can't always hold true darren but typically we find that you know people hear about it and then in that first year they might see a little bit of it and that second year is kind of when they when that when that hammer drops on them of tar spot, and so uh, being aware of what's going on around you, networking with your farmers, your your retail network, uh, your agronomists that you work with, uh, what are they seeing out there? Uh, how close has it gotten to your fields? Um, keep an eye on, on the weather conditions uh, to some degree to see if the weather conditions are conducive for for tar spot development. You know those those uh, longer days of, or longer uh, periods of wetness you know, those kinds of things, uh, and keep an eye on the temperature. That can help that disease move along as well. Um, and, be again, be, be ready to, to kind of pull the trigger. We've got a, a fungicide in Approach Prima that does a nice job, again, from a plant health standpoint and a broad-spectrum disease package, but it has some activity on tar spot as well that, that we've seen be very effective uh, over the last handful of years that we've been monitoring this disease. You know, I've been talking about some of the tough diseases here in corn and soybeans with Jeff Moon with Corteva. And one thing I was thinking about too, Jeff, is just as as we're making those final uh, variety selections and picking which fields they're going to go into and these types of things, but there is quite a bit of def- difference in defense with some of these uh, corn hybrids, soybean varieties, wheat varieties, uh, you name it. And, and being real yep. smart about that, being real fussy about how we follow through on our plans can really help us too. I mean, helping out with an extra treatment is good, but if we've got something yep. that's pretty tolerant to those things, that gives us a good leg up. It sure does. That's a great place to start. I don't know if we want to talk about things, you know, having, you know, a, a resistance necessarily to it, but there's certainly some tolerance on some of these things that we've noted and your seed suppliers have noted. And uh, if that particular hybrid, uh, that particular variety fits your farm, fits what you're doing out there, uh, that's probably worth taking a look at as a good first step uh, somewhere to start that defensive mechanism. And then if you have to get on, get on the offense, I guess that's where the fungicides can come in and help you out as well. I know the breeding companies are working hard to give us some more tools on some of these tough diseases, but in the meantime, we're going to work with the tools we've got. Uh, Getting some great advice here from Jeff Moon with Corteva. Jeff, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Thank you. Appreciate the time and uh, wish you a a, a good planting season and, and a good safe spring when we get there. Yeah, it's just around the corner. It's weeks away right now, even though I know we got a little bit of winter yet in front of us here in the north, but It's coming up pretty quick, and we're going to be focused on plant health on today's program, making those plans for this spring. If you have any questions about plant health or any other agronomic topic, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. 
Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. For the smallest investment with the biggest impact on yield, upgrade your planter with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. To see how we stack up against the competition at a fraction of the cost, call us at 712-520-6051. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll answer that question at our free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop Thursday, February 8th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep into your best options for control of yield-robbing pests, trade options including ExtendFlex and Enlist, fertility, and much more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and more fun, come to the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Talking about plant health, and obviously this isn't just a, hey, let's give the plant a magic pill and everything's going to be great. There's a lot of things that go into this, and it, it all starts with the soil. We, we began the show with that, that, man, we've got to have great soil structure. We've got to do things right with the soil if we want those plants to have the best chance out in the field. Got Dave Brennan with us right now with Case IH to talk a little bit about plant health. How are you doing, Dave? Hey, excellent. Good to talk to you today. All right. So it, it really starts uh, with seed bed preparation. I mean, we all like to think, hey, we got the best planter in the industry and, and we got all the right features on that and we know how to run it well. But if the guy setting that seed bed up messes things up for you, it's pretty tough to overcome that. Yeah, I kind of I like to say you know bad tillage can make a good planter look bad. So we want to make sure that that seed bed prep pass is is done effectively, done properly, and and really sets that uh, planter up for a pass that uh, as close to perfection as we can make it. 
Yes, even as we can make that environment out there, even even like in strip till, and we do a lot of strip till on our farm too, uh, just really being fussy as you go through the field and you get to different areas, making some adjustments out there. So when the planter comes, everything looks as close to the same as possible. And uh, like you say, now we've got a really good planter operator in the cab. Uh, what are some of the things that you think about with the planter that, that can help you season long? Well, I mean, as you look at it right now today, it's the end of January, it's 50 degrees outside. I think folks maybe are starting to think about planters that maybe a little earlier than we would have thought about them in a, in a, in a colder uh, winter environment that we've seen here uh, that we have them recently, I guess. But, uh, you know, as we start to pull that planter out and look at um, each individual row unit and think about that micro environment around that seed that is created and then try and tie that back to those piece parts on the row unit that create that micro environment. So it goes back to good maintenance practices, good upkeep, uh, you know, making sure that that planter is is up to the task that it's facing for for spring season of use here, and placing the seed in the ground, and um, you know, not impacting that what we call as a micro environment around that seed, whether that's uh, excess compaction, whether that's uh, disc openers that uh, you know maybe are wore too much and they're not planning to correct depth into a colder or warmer, different uh, soil temperature than its neighboring row, and you know that obviously then leads to that uh, you know impact and impacts the emergence of that plant um, in its early life stages. With all the reduced tillage that's going on, getting residue out of the way, keeping it out of that seed trench is a, is a big deal. Do you have any tips for us on that, Dave? I know there have been a lot of advancements in uh, how to get the residue uh, clear and so it doesn't influence seeding depth either. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we know residue in next to the seed can cause blight, can cause a lot of problems with drying soil out uh, prematurely around a certain seed and its neighbors in, in good moisture yet. So wiping that, that residue away is a pretty, pretty critical uh, piece of the planter operation and controlling uh, the residue managers uh, becomes a large portion of that. So, you know, within cab control of residue managers that, that a lot of folks have migrated to, really um, uh, allows us to do that more effectively. It's, it's not getting out and lifting 16, 24 different rows of residue managers. Now we can, from the cab, make an easy adjustment uh, of those residue managers in a more precise fashion uh, to make sure that we're, we're, we're you know, not moving too much soil away and, and, and moving the right amount of residue away. Yeah, these kind of features have been just huge upgrades in my lifetime. It's made planting so much easier uh, as long as you're paying attention. I still think it's important to be out there digging and making sure you're getting accurate seed placement and, and depth control, those types of things. What are some of those um, features that growers should really be watching closely, Dave? I mean, obviously you get to work with farmers all over and, and planters and all different kinds of soil and, and with multiple crops. Uh, what are some of the things that can help with that um, that seed to soil contact we're looking for? Yeah, so as you mentioned, no replacement for ground truthing that that planter is doing. So we're always getting out of the cab. Maybe we've made these cabs a little too nice for some growers. They, they are nice, Dave. <laughs> it's, it's comfortable. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we still got to get out and make sure that that, that planter is doing its job effectively and hitting those target depths. And so, you know, some of the, some of the things we've done to make that 
maybe a little more, make, make, give you that tummy comfort as you're running that planter through the field with uh, that live feedback row by row and things like ground contact. And we can then make that um, connection that if we've got good crown contact, those gauge wheels have not left the ground, and we're hitting that target depth. We've got out, obviously, and verified that depth, but now we know that we're hitting that target depth. So that row-by-row row feedback can really tell us, you know, how that planter is performing and how it's placing that seed in the ground and it's hitting those targets that we as a grower have defined, whether that's, you know, typically planting to moisture, but, uh, you know, a multitude of other uh, metrics that we're looking at, and, and that's just row unit ride. And then we can look at seed metrics as well and look at that in-row uh, performance of the meter side of, of the row unit so that we're, as I like to say, dropping seed so so accurately we could build a tape measure off of it. So we're, we're placing it exactly at the population that we want to hit. Well, the other side of this, too, we're talking with Dave Brennan with Case IH, is you've set a really high standard, Dave, with the early riser planter. I, I love the concept of, hey, I'm going to do everything I can right on this piece of equipment to make sure we're getting out of the ground faster. We we love that. If we get out of the ground faster, we just have a better chance to win. Uh, what are some of the things that make an early riser planter an early riser performance? Yeah, so it all starts with that row unit. And we kind of look at uh, some agronomic drivers uh, that we've developed years uh, years ago with our friends at Purdue and and those four really that are that are impactful of seed placement would start with uniform seed seed depth across the planter and throughout the field. So we look at row unit number one set at two inches. By gosh, we ought to have row unit number twenty four and everyone in between set at that two inch depth. So that ability to zero out that row unit to make sure that they're all set at the same depth if I set them at the same depth. And that's unique to the early riser or early riser row unit, uh, maximizing seed to soil contact. So that's, uh, you know, again, back to that residue comment that we talked about earlier, making sure that we're starting with making sure that residue is out of the way. We're not, we're not putting that into the seed trench. Uh, we're not creating uh, too much compaction in around the seed. So that's uniform soil pressure we're carrying that weight of that row unit with our reduced inner diameter gauge wheels about an inch and a half away from kind of that critical seed zone area and the root development area. And then we look at um, uh, the accurate seed population and accurate in-row seed spacing. Those are kind of more the meter-centric uh, focus of our row unit, but also you know, very important to growers to make sure we're hitting those targets for them. On the technology side, uh, what kind of differences AFS Connect made for uh, for Case IH users? Yeah, I can tell you. You know, one of the most frustrating things on our farm is is having to uh, you know work with a trusted advisor, grab the prescriptions, get them brought into the cab, and, and do that all. Uh, you know, when I want to be planting that seed in the ground, and so getting that done ahead of time can be um, you know a lot of uh, can save a lot of frustration on the day of day of planting, the first day of planting. And AFS Connect is a is a great step to to making that process much simpler for us. So it can haul that data, haul those prescriptions, and we can bring those into the cab uh, wirelessly, and saves us a lot of uh, management of uh, USB memory sticks and having to haul those around and making sure that those are all the correct ones we're using for that field today. So AFS Connect has been a, a great step in helping manage that uh, that prescription data um, on the front side 
you know, in addition to that, things like field management. If I picked up some new fields and um, don't have boundaries created for those, I can do those on AFS Connect and have the boundaries already brought in into the cab without having to physically drive them. Yeah, that's um, so that's a great a that's a great point. That come with it. Yeah, I, I look at yeah, uh, months absolutely. like this heading into February, and you say, "Ah, we aren't going to be planting for a little while yet." That's the time to get all those things done. So uh, we're talking with Dave Brennan here with Case IH. So when you get out to the field and you want to get rolling in the spring, you can just roll. Uh, I like that a lot. Now, well, Dave, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Of course, if we get any more information that you're looking for about Case IH, just find it at caseih.com. We'll talk more about plant health right after this. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all instructions. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Are you ready for better efficiency, more productivity, higher yields? Then you're ready for John Deere Precision Technology, which starts with three core pieces. First, a G5 display gives fast views of your work and a window to future technology. A Starfire receiver gives you sub-inch repeatable accuracy without an RTK base station. And a JD-Link modem gives you a live view of your entire operation. Get precise and talk with your John Deere dealer or visit johndeere.com backslash basic. How can Naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. Biologicals, or Naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals workshop Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, making it tough to make the right choices for your farm. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products, and we want to share what we've learned with you. Naturals have enormous potential for growing profits on your farm. So whether you're trying to reduce your crop's nitrogen needs, make your crop cooler and more drought tolerant, control diseases without pesticides, or just boost overall plant growth and health, you won't want to miss this exciting workshop. It's the free Ag PhD Naturals workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. For more information and to register, go to agphd.com. My mom's got a new Case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Oh, 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking plant health on the show today. And I know, I know, there aren't a whole lot of plants growing out on our farm right now. It's still, it's nice out, but we're still a little bit away from the growing season. But uh, as uh, as one of our earlier guests mentioned, you got to start planning now. You got to make those plans so that when it's time to go in the field, you can just roll. Got Mark Storr with us right now with BASF. And, and Mark, uh, as we talk about plant health, uh, what are some of the things that the growers should be getting ready in their plans for this spring? Well, we certainly like to talk about our uh, plant health fungicides, basically the most proven and uh, dynamic uh, uh, in the marketplace, I believe. You know, fungicides have been used to control disease for some period of time, but it's only recently that, you know, we discovered some of the plant health attributes that fungicides offer. Uh, and that's where I think uh, there the differences between uh, our chemistry and a lot of the others on the market exist. Uh, basically, the mode of action that we use to control uh, fungal organisms by uh, stopping or inhibiting mitochondrial respiration, we're actually affecting the uh, growth process within a plant, increasing photosynthesis. Uh, nitrogen utilization, and basically uh, reducing stress, which that's where the yield component comes in for a lot of our fungicide applications. You know, reducing stress is a big thing because I I get a lot of folks that say, all right, so I can understand if there's disease out there and keeping the leaves clean, but uh, if I'm in a dry area or I'm in a drought, why am I seeing such a difference? Uh, As the last few years... We've had drought on our farm, Mark. We've been using fungicides. It's been a positive gain each of those years for us. What are the big things when you get in those dry conditions that make these fungicides work? Well, it all boils down to the uh, the effect on the, the plant, that uh, mode of action, like I said, of the fungicide that is able us to control the fungal organism. We're actually affecting respiration, and we're reducing CO2 loss, which is uh, building block of protein within the plant. Uh, we will keep the plant stomates open longer. Uh, basically, the analogy that we use is if you leave your pickup with the windows closed up on a sunny day, it gets hot inside the cab. If you leave the windows down, the ambient temperature is whatever the outside temperature is. It doesn't accumulate inside. That's really what happens in plant leaves uh, when they're under uh you know, heat stress and sun stress. That's why corn will curl, for example, and uh, soybean leaves, you'll see their, you know, they flip their leaves and show their undersides more so they're not absorbing so much heat. And then, and uh, again, with the uh, BSF plant health fungicides, what we're doing is keeping those holes in the leaves open, which is keeping those windows down and uh, preventing that heat buildup. So that's really a significant part of it. And the other thing that's probably most visible, I think, is ethylene. And ethylene is a stress hormone. And people talk about a greening effect. And they will see treated strips of their field if they leave untreated checks, where there's a clear difference in color uh, between the area that was treated or it wasn't. And uh, a lot of this is uh, based on ethylene. Uh, So it's kind of visual response. And a good way to see this is, you know, maybe you have a group, say a mid-group two soybean that's planted on, uh, you know, you have some sandy knobs in the field and you have some hot, dry weather. You're probably going to see that soybean variety 
act more like a group, you know, late group one or, or a mid group one, it'll accelerate its, its uh, reproduction activity. So it'll basically produce a lot of small soybean seeds. And obviously our yield will be down as a result of that. Uh, but that ethylene hormone is stress hormone that initiates that activity within the plant. And what we can do is help slow that down. So those are really some of the visual things that you can see. Now, one of the questions we get, Mark, about fungicide use is timing and how long these things are going to last, how many times they should be retreating as different stresses pop up throughout the season. Talk to us about corn first. There's been a lot of difference, uh, kind of that V4 to V7 window, the five feet time to treat, uh, tasseling time after tassel. How do you how do you decide when the best time to, to put fungicides on would be? Well, I'm going to zero it in on what we've seen with our ROI over the over the years as being in corn VTR1 stage uh, application with, you know, some of the new disease pressure and tar spot is the one that's probably uh, creating the most attention. Uh, we know that can come in early and we may have some areas that need to treat twice uh, to, you know, keep that disease in check. But if you're making a single application, you're probably going to get the most benefit out of those fungicides by making those single application at VT. If you're splitting it up, you want to separate them for at least probably 21 to 28 days apart. And so, you know, if you're making an early application, maybe out at, you know, V14 or V16, a few leaves prior to tassel, and then coming back at R2 to R3, it's going to put you that you know, three to four week window after that first application to make your uh, sequential application. But the residual component are such that, you know, we think of both curative and, and, and uh, uh, preventative fungicides. And, you know, that's where you take a product like Veltima or even Revitec where you have multiple modes of action. You know, we look at a minimum of 30 days worth of uh, preventative, uh, preventative control. So when fungal spores land on treated leaf tissue, they're not going to be infected. Uh, and we do have a unique, the Revel cell component of both Revitec and uh, Veltima is responsible for uh, a tremendous length of control with a triazole uh, uh, fungicide, which is very unique. So generally, we've you know seen that single application in a normal disease year prevent that disease from uh, taking care of that plant, you know, until you get to black layer, basically. Let's look at soybeans, Mark. Uh, the best returns that, that a lot of guys have seen has been that R2, R3 timing, unless there's white mold and they need to get going sooner. Do you think there's going to be a time where, where we see big gains, even in the vegetative stages on beans, or are they just more likely to have uh, stress issues once we get into the reproductive timings? Yeah, Darren, I think it really gets down to the paint. You know, we think about corn yielding the top part of the plant is, you know, that top two-thirds of the canopy is responsible for the majority of the yield. In the case of soybeans, it's a center third to half of the canopy. The, the low canopy doesn't really contribute much. You know, they're buried uh, under the canopy, doesn't get a lot of light. We see a lot of two bean pods down there. The same is true at the top of the plant where – uh, that's when you're going to run into that late season stress where you don't catch a rain. We see a lot of pot abortion at the top of the plant. And so the, the majority of the yield comes from that center part of the plant. And 
knowing how soybeans grow, you know, we all grow indeterminate beans here, which means they're vegetatively and, you know, putting on vegetative growth and reproductive growth at the same time. So uh, essentially when you get plants to R2, they're about half grown or think of them as half the full canopy height. And so by making that application and that R2 to R4, you're going to catch that center part of the canopy. And then realizing that any new growth that the uh, beans put on over time, they're not going to be protected from the fungicide anyway. So, uh, that, you know, we normally don't make more than one application in soybeans. Again, there may be some instances where that would be necessary, but uh, that single application is going to cover the majority of that center part of the canopy and still provide the benefit to the lower part as well. So the only thing it's going to be missing out on is be the late growth up at the top. So that's really, you know, I've done a lot of trials since we've been working with going back to the, you know, about 2004 and I've seen R2 and R5. I mean, the complete window you move earlier than that R1. Generally, we don't see a response maybe under uh, what our return on investment would be, be like. And our R5 is too late because we miss out on uh, on that window uh, to where we see much benefit, unless you have a very late season disease, sure, maybe sure. something like Cercospora. You know, what you say, Mark, makes a lot of sense for, for our listeners who are raising other crops. Focus on the parts of the plant that are going to be the most important in determining yield and protect them from disease. Uh, but plant health fungicides definitely have some provable uh, attributes out there that have been shown to help crops over many years. Mark, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll answer that question at our free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop, Thursday, February 8th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep into the best options for weed, insect, and disease control. We'll talk through trade options, including Extend Flex versus Enlist. You'll learn the best ways to stop the worst yield-robbing pests in soybeans, such as gall midge larvae, sclerotinia white mold, water hemp, and kochia. A well-managed soybean crop can have a huge impact on your bottom line. If you've thought of soybeans as a secondary crop in the past, consider this. With today's prices, 70 or 80 bushel soybean yields can give you more than $1,000 of gross income per acre. So if you want to make raising beans more lucrative and more fun, you won't want to miss this free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Thursday, February 8th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. 
This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. Planting preparation starts as soon as harvest ends. So do successful at-plant strategies. Put time on your side with at-plant inputs, insights, and innovations that help you make the most of next season's planting pass. You're already thinking about seed, inputs, and crop protection when you plan your season. Include them all in your planter to give yourself an at-plant advantage that pays off at harvest. Always read and follow all label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We've been talking about plant health, but we're going to dive back into the Ag PhD mailbag. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. All right, Brian, uh, first question here. This one comes in from Wes. I uh, said, we've been trying to build up the soil for years now. NP and K are low. Our only crop that's marketable in this area is hay, so we're growing alfalfa mainly. As a rotation, after about four or five years, we plant wheat and triticale. After cutting and baling, we follow that with hay grazer to be baled, and then we go back to alfalfa. Now, I've been using some stuff to help build soil life, and uh, the guys told me not to use potash because the chlorine in the potash would kill the life. What do you guys think of that? And then he's got a couple other questions, too. No, that's not true. Um, it is not chlorine in potash. It is chloride that is a super important plant nutrient. So, yes, if you had, let's say, a whole bunch of excess sodium out in your soil, which I sure hope you don't, sodium together with chloride is going to form a salt, and that obviously could be harmful. But no, that's absolutely not true. We put on a ridiculous amount of potassium in the form of potash before we seed alfalfa, I mean, literally, it's a four-year supply because if you don't do that, you can't top dress very well with P or K because they don't move down in the soil well. I mean, unless you had pure sand and lots of rain or irrigation. So my point is that's absolutely not true. We're doing it with high rates of potash, and it works amazingly well, and we make just tremendous money on that because now we've got that fertility down in the ground and it's awesome so no you can absolutely use potash and in fact that would be my recommended source if you want to supplement with some potassium sulfate or something great but that's really expensive and and so you got to kind of keep that in mind there are cheaper ways to get your sulfur out there usually yeah the other challenge is they've got him using k mag and now his magnesium levels are getting too high so yeah you you got to be careful about that wes the uh, the yep. thing, I, I do like potash for that reason, and like you said, potassium sulfate would be another option too. The other thing is, he mentions he made nine tons per acre on this hay, so 
great job on that. That's awesome. You're getting great productivity. The challenge is the crop removal on hay crops. They they do take a lot out of the soil. And you mentioned your fertilizer rates here, but honestly, it's just not enough. If your NPK levels are low, uh, that tells you I, I'm not building here. I need to up my rates a little bit or make some changes to my rotation so I'm not pulling so much out. But hey, pulling, pulling nutrients out is what a crop's job is. You're putting fertilizer out there. Absolutely. You're converting it into plant mass and you're selling the plant mass. So you just need to make sure you're selling the plant mass for enough to put the nutrients back up. Hey, thanks for the questions. We, we really appreciate that. And, and yeah, we'd encourage you to uh, try some potash. All right. Uh, Brandon's got a question here. He said, um, all right, guys, uh, went through your corn workshop. And one thing you guys brought up that I really hadn't thought about is the potential toxicity of zinc and copper fertilizers with naturals. Well, it makes sense as these are known antimicrobial products. The bad news is my soil is short in zinc and copper. Uh, so I would like to add some. Uh, I'm putting out four gallons at 1034 in furrow. And I'm adding six gallons of water with it to, to spread it out a little better. Um, the fertilizers are chelated versions of zinc and copper, but uh, even your zinc chart in the workshop showed a reduction in three hours. Now, is that three hours mixed together, or is that three hours before yep. my corn germinates? Because they're going to have to sit in the ground for a while before my corn starts to germinate, and they just get a couple other things too. Yeah, sitting in the ground really isn't a problem. It's mixed together and sitting in the tank. That's where the problem occurs. Zinc chelate is not too bad. Here's the other thing, though. What are you spending on your zinc that you're going to do in furrow? Ten bucks? My suggestion is, hey, if, you, if you're concerned about this, take the ten bucks or better yet, maybe spend twenty bucks and you can get a lot of dry zinc sulfate and go spread that on your fields and then really build up your soil levels. And then you can go back to, oh, I'm just going to supplement and feed the crop. But in the short term, you need to feed the soil with probably who knows, 10x, 20x what you've been putting on to get it up to the right level. Same thing with the copper. I just throw copper sulfate out there. Uh, we've sprayed it out through the sprayer. I'll just tell you, if you mix copper sulfate in with water through your sprayer, make sure you clean that sprayer out every single night, have to clean it out, otherwise you have a problem. And Brandon mentions he's got light soils, 8 to 10 CEC. And he said, we, we get about half the moisture you guys get, and we, we're generally pretty hot during the summer. Uh, when you're putting out copper, zinc, any other concerns or tips you'd have in that type of environment? Well, the big thing is copper and zinc don't really leach, whereas things like boron, sulfate, nitrate, and even to some degree potassium could move a little bit in your soil. When you don't get a lot of rain, though, it's not going to move much. But where I'm going with this is don't get too worried about, oh, I'm building my soil with zinc or I'm building my soil with copper. You're not going to lose it even in your, what we would consider, lighter soil. He mentions a couple naturals he's considering, heat shield and mega grow, and they are two totally different things, Brandon, in terms of how you apply them. Mega grow can right. mix with a lot of different things and is, is pretty easy to mix with just about anything. Heat shield really likes to be put on by itself. Uh, so if you can find a way to apply that separately, that would be a, a good move because that one is and, pretty sensitive to a lot of different chemistries. And like with heat shield, that's living fungal species. So you got to keep them alive. You can't have chlorine in the water or anything else. Whereas Megagrow, uh, that's different. That's plant growth hormones. So, yeah, I'm not nearly as worried about that one. 
All right. Uh, Travis has got a question. He said, hey, guys, I'm down in Oklahoma. I've got some ground that's currently sitting fallow, and I'm going to put wheat in it next fall. My question is, would it be better to rip that ground in April or May, or should I wait and do it closer to the time I'm going to seed, like in August, for example? Hmm. That is a great question. Um, I don't know what you would lean toward, Darren. Personally, I just want to make sure that my soil is fit. If it's too wet, that's a problem. If it's absolutely bone dry, that's a problem. I've got to have some moisture. So I would consider it in the spring, but like in our region, there's basically no chance you can ever get that done. It's always fall when we end up having to do any type of ripping or as we call it, zone building, you know, any super deep tillage, anything else. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I would rather leave it no-till as long as I possibly can and try and let water soak in there and try and protect your soil and your soil structure and all those yep. things as long as yep. you can. If you need to do yep. tillage, I would yep. wait. I would wait until uh, not too long ahead of when you're going to seed. But target, again, like Brian said, target when you've got ideal moisture conditions, if at all possible. Uh, if it looks like, hey, there's a rainy spell coming up, you may need to get out there and get it done ahead of time. Uh, this one comes in from Rick. He's over in Illinois. He said, hey, guys, I have plenty of phosphorus according to the soil test, but it isn't showing up in my plant tissue tests. Is there something I could use to solubilize the phosphorus that's in the soil and improve availability? Hey, I don't have a soil test here, Rick. And one of the things I'd be curious about is what is your soil pH? Because uh, phosphorus, that can really help you if you can get your pH into that ideal window, preferably in the sixes, your availability on phosphorus goes way up. So that could be one thing. Maybe your pH is, is way off of balance. Um, the other well, things could be just nutrient balance in general. What's what's happening out in that soil that could be tying up pee? Yeah, but here's the other thing. I mean, somebody said he had high levels of phosphorus. Would we say those are high levels of phosphorus? That's a good question. I'd like to see the soil test. I agree with you. All right. Uh, last question here. Someone comes in from Shane. He's down uh, in Nebraska. Uh, he said, I'm curious about going from conventional till to no-till. Uh, my concern on the no-till side is breaking down residue left on top of the ground. You guys have talked about um, products that could help melt the residue down to some degree. What are some of the things that, that you would like to do if you were making the switch to no-till? Number one thing for me, I'm going to put a lot of fertilizer way down deep, and I'm going to do everything I can to eliminate my compactor, reduce the compaction. So if I need to do some deep tillage, I need to do some deep fertilizer application, I want to get out and do some tiling, all that stuff, I'm doing it right now before I go into no-till. Yeah, and then do everything you can to keep your soil health vibrant. Uh, if you've reduced compaction, you balance soil nutrients, all those types of things, and you've got a lot of soil life, they're going to break that residue down faster. You can certainly assist that by applying some of the microbial products like decomp. You could put some nitrogen on the stalks. Those kinds of things can help break that down over time as well. Hey, thanks for the question, Shane. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.